Chapter Three of Craddock Noel, Volume Three, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Three. Slowly from that night, but surely, Craddock's mind began to return, like a child to its mother, who is stretching forth her arms to it. Timid at first, and wondering, and apt for a long time to reel and stagger at the very slight shocks or vibrations, then, as the water comes over the ice in a gradual, gentle thaw, beginning to gleam at the margin first, where the reeds are and the willow trees, then gliding slowly and brightly on, following every skate-mark or line where a rope or stick has been, till it flows into a limpid sheet so crystal reason dawned and wavered felt its way and went on again tracing many a childish channel many a dormant memory across that dull lethargic mind until the bright surface was restored and the lead line of judgment could penetrate mr rosedew quartered himself and his amy at the portland hotel hard by and reckless of all expense moved Craddock into mrs. Ducksacre's very best room He would have done this long ago only the doctor would not allow it Then Amy who did not like London at all because there were so few trees in it Hired some of the Christmas grove from the fair greengrocers and decked out the little sitting-room So that Craddock had sweet visions of the Queen's bower mead as for herself she would stay in the shop perhaps half an hour together and rejoice in the ways of the children all her pocket money went into the till as if you had taken a shovel to it barcelona's brazils and cobnuts she was giving all day to the warmints and golden oranges rolled before her as from atalanta's footstep it is a most wonderful fact and far beyond my philosophy that instead of losing her roses in london as a country girl ought to have done amy bloomed with more jacomino upon very bright occasions more louise odier constantly with goubault in the dimples then toning off at any new fright to malmaison or devoniensis more of these roses now carmined or mantled in the delicate turn of her cheeks than ever had nestled and played there in the free air of the forest good aunt doxy was quite amazed on the saturday afternoon when meeting her brother and niece at the station for it made no difference in the outlay and the drive would do her good she found not a pale and withered child worn out with london racket and freckled with dust and smoke spots but the loveliest amy she had ever seen which was something indeed to say with a brilliance of bloom which the good aunt at once proceeded to test with her handkerchief but before the young lady left town to wit on the friday evening she had a little talk with rachel jupp or rather with strapping issachar which nearly concerns our story oh miss amy said rachel that morning miss amy sounded more natural somehow than miss rosehugh did so you're going away miss after all and never see my louis and a pretty child she is and a good one and a quiet one and father never lift hand to her now and the poor young gentleman saved her life and he like her so much and she like him i will come and see her this evening as you have so kindly asked me that is with my papa's leave 
and if you don't mind coming for me to the inn at six o'clock i am afraid of walking by myself after dark in london my papa has found some books at the bookstalls and he is so delighted with them he never wants me after dinner dear miss amy would you mind then would you mind taking a drop of tea with us to be sure i will i mean if it is quite convenient and if you can be spared here and if oh nothing else mrs jupp only i shall be most happy she was going to say and if you won't make any great preparations but she knew how sensitive poor people are at restraints upon hospitality so grand preparations were made and grander still they would have been and more formal and uncomfortable if amy had finished her sentence rachel at once rushed off to her lord whose barge shaped frame was moored alongside of his wharf dreaming as stolidly as none except a bargee can dream he immediately shelled out seven and sixpence from the cuddy of his inexpressibles and left his wife to her own devices except in the matter of tea itself the tea he was resolved to fetch from a little shop in the barge walk where as mother hamp declared who kept the tobacco shop by the gate they sold tea as strong as brandy if you please to excuse our zaki miss taking no more tea said mrs jupp after issachar had laboured very hard at it the host being bound in his opinion to feast even as the guest did because he belonged to the anti-teetotalers as takes nothing no stronger than gin miss don't take more no one noggin of tay miss cried mr jupp touching his short front curl with a hand scrubbed in quicklime and copperas likes it but it don't like me miss makes me feel quite intemperate like so nervous and queer and staggery louis dear dad's mild mixture for to speak the young lady's health in leastways by your leave miss dad's mild mixture soon made its appearance in a battered half-gallon can and mr jupp was amazed and grieved that none but himself would quaff any the strongest and headiest stuff it was which even the publicans in london alchemists of villainy can quassify and coculize and nux vomicize up to proof then the wrath of hunger and thirst being mollified issachar begged leave to smoke if altogether agreeable and it would all go up the chimney which however it refrained from doing now while he was smoking i may admit that the contents of mr jupp's census paper if indeed he ever made legal entries after punching the collector's head have not been transcribed to the satisfaction of, of the registrar-general or home office or whoever or whatever he or it is who or which insists upon knowing nine times as much about us as we know about ourselves mr jupp was a bargee of catholic views it weren't no odds to he whether he worked upon wharf or water sea or river or canal at coal or hay or lime breeze or hop poles or anything else now and then he went down to gravesend or up the river to kingston or staines but his more legitimate area was navigable by three canals where a chap might find time to eat his dinner and give his wife a nag then issachar's love of nature always culminated at one o'clock and then how he loved to halt his team under a row of alders and see the painted meadows gay and have grub and pipe according 
his three canals affording these choice delights unequally were the surrey the regents and the basingstoke the last was indeed to his rural mind the nearest approach to paradise but as there is in all things a system of weights and measures mr jupp got better wages upon the other two and so could not very often afford to indulge his love of the beautiful hence he kept his household gods within reach of the yellow tibers and took them only once a year for a treat upon the anio then would rachel jupp and louis spend a summer month afloat enjoying the rural glimpses and the sliding quietude of inland navigation and keeping the potter boiling in the state cabin of the enterprise or the industrious maiden now amy having formed lou's acquaintance and said what was right and pretty in gratitude for their entertainment and faithful kindness to cradock was just about to leave them when issachar jupp delivered this speech very slowly as a man who has got the marrow and pope's eye of his pipe now scuse me for axin you miss and if any ways wrong in doing so be unscrupulous for to say so and no harm done or taken but i has my raisins for axing from things as i've a ear them say and uncommon good raisins too if you please what be the accurate name and dwelling place of the young gent as saved our loo mr clinkers couldn't find out miss though he knowed as it weren't charles newman don't you know his story then asked amy in some astonishment i thought you knew all about it and were so kind to him partly through that though you were kind enough not to talk to me about it we guesses a piece here and there miss since he talked so wild in his illness and that's what made me be axin of you for i knowed one name right well as he out with once or twice not at all a common name nother but we knows for certain no more nor this that he be an unlucky young gent and the best as ever come into these parts there can be no harm in my telling you such faithful friends as you are and the sad tale is known to every one far and wide in our part of hampshire hampshire huh said mr jupp with a very mysterious look we know mr rosedew come from hampshire and that set us the more a-thinking of it loo child run for dad's backer box as were left to mother richardson's and if it ain't there try at blinkin davies and if he ain't got it try mother hamp the child sadly disappointed for her eyes were large with hopes of a secret about her dear gentleman as she called cradock departed upon her long errand then amy told as briefly as possible all she knew of the great mishap and the misery which followed it from time to time her soft voice shook and her tears would not be disciplined while rachel jupp strayed anyhow but issachar listened dryly and sternly and one great brown hand on his forehead not once did he interrupt the young lady by gesture look or question but when she had finished he said very quietly one name miss as have summit to do with it i've not heard you signify 
and it was the sound of that very name as first raised my curiosity goose me miss but i wouldn't ask only for good reason i hardly know what right i have to mention any other names replied amy blushing and hesitating for she did not wish to speak of pearl garnet there is only one other name connected at all with the matter and that one of no importance ah returned jupp with a glance as intense as a cat's through a dairy keyhole maybe the tow-rope ain't nothing to do with the going of the barge miss that name didn't happen permiscuous now to be the name of garnet ma'am yes indeed it did but how could you know that mr jupp pearl garnet with a name i eared on and that ain't a very common name leastways to my experience now could it have happened by a accident that her good father's name were bull garnet amy drew back for mr jupp in his triumph and excitement had laid down his pipe and was stretching out his unpeeled crate of a hand as if to take her by the shoulder and shake the whole truth out of her it was his fashion with rachel and he quite forgot the difference mrs jupp cried zaiky zaiky in a tone of strong remonstrance but he was not abashed very seriously it couldn't be now could it miss it weren't in any way possible that pearl garnet's father was ever known by the name of bull garnet but indeed that is his name mr jupp why should you be so incredulous uncredulous it be miss uncredulous as i be a sinner rachie who'd a thought it how things does come about to be sure now please to tell me miss very careful and not passing lightly of anything never you mind how small it seem every word you knows about pearl garnet and that there job there and all you knows on her father too you must prove to me first mr jupp that i have any right to do so issachar now was strongly excited a condition most unusual with him except when his wife rebelled and that she had years ago ceased to do he put his long black face which was working so that the high cheekbones almost shut the little eyes quite close to amy's little white ear and whispered if you dunna tell me you'll cry for it all the life long you'll never write the innocent and you'll let the guilty ride over you i canna tell no more just now but every word is gospel i be no liar miss though i be rough enough god knows supposes he made me so then amy trembling at his words and thinking that she had hurt his feelings put her soft little hand for amends into zaki's great black piece of hold which looked like the bilge of a barge and he wondered what to do with it such a sort of chap as he was he had never heard of kissing a hand and even if he had it would scarcely be a timely offering for he was having a chore to compose himself yet he knew that he ought not in good manners to let go her hand in a hurry so what did he do but slip off a ring one of those so-called galvanic rings in which sailors and bargemen have wonderful faith as an antidote to rheumatics tic dolorous and the caroline morgan and this ring he passed down two of her fingers for all females do love trinkets so amy kept it carefully and will put it on her chatelaine 
if ever she institutes one then being convinced by his words and manner she told him everything she knew about the garnet family their behavior in and after the great misfortune the strange seclusion of pearl and mr garnet's illness and then she recurred to some vague rumors which had preceded their settlement in the new forest to all this issachar listened without a word or a nod but with his narrow forehead radiant with concentration his lips screwed up in a serrate ring after the manner of a medlar and a series of winks so intensely sage that his barge might have turned a corner with a team of eight blind horses and no nod wanted for one of them ain't there no more than all that miss he asked with some disappointment when the little tale was ended can't you recollect any more no indeed i cannot and if you had not some important object i should be quite ashamed of telling you so much gossip if i may ask you a question now what more did you expect me to tell you that they had knowed miss as bull garnet were sir cradock nowell's brother mr garnet sir cradock's brother you must be mistaken mr jupp my father has known sir cradock nowell ever since he was ten years old and he could not have failed to know it if it had been so most likely you do not know it miss but dunna you tell him now nor any other chap it be true as gospel for all that though then robert and pearl are cradock's first cousins and mr garnet is his uncle not exactly as you count things answered the bargeman looking at the fire but in the way as we does amy felt that she must ask no more at least upon that subject and she was not likely to speak of it even to her father let him go miss continued issachar referring now to cradock let him go for a long sea voyage same as dr hordeson he'd be better out of the way for a spell or two the basingstoke ain't far enough where i meant to have took him i mun be quite out of the country till this job be over like and never a word as to what i thinks to kunanai is here miss if so be you valleys his reason but you forget mr jupp that you have not told me as yet at all what it is you do think you said some things which frightened me and you told me one which astonished me beyond that i know nothing and better so my dear young lady a vast deal better so only you have the very best hopes and keep your spirits roaring zaky jupp never take a thing in hand but what he go well through with it ask rachy about that now this were a casual accident mind you only a casual accident of course we all know that mr jupp no one would dare to think anything else yes yes all right miss and we'll find out who did the casual accident that's all miss that's all only you hold your tongue she was obliged to be content with this and on the whole it greatly encouraged her then she returned to the portland hotel under convoy of all the jupp family and issachar got into two or three rows by hustling every one out of her way although poor amy was frightened at this no doubt it increased her faith in him through some feminine process of dialectics unknown to the author of the organon though amy could not bear to keep anything secret from her father having given her word 
she of course observed it and john was greatly surprised at the spirits in which his daughter took leave of cradock but there were many points in amy's character as had been observed before which her father never understood and he concluded that this was a specimen of them and was delighted to see her so cheerful now being returned to nowelhurst he held counsel with his sister eudoxia who thoroughly deserved to have a vote after contributing so to the revenue and the result of that lateran for they both were bricks counsel was as follows that john was bound howsoever much it went against his proud stomach after his previous treatment to make one last appeal from the father according to the spirit to the father according to the flesh in favour of the unlucky son who was now condemned to exile so as at least to send him away in a manner suitable to his birth that if this appeal were rejected and the appellant treated unpleasantly which was almost sure to follow he could not consistently with his honour and his clerical dignity hold any longer the benefices paltry as they were the gifts of a giver now proved unkind that thereupon mr rosedew should first provide for craddock's voyage so far as his humble means and parochial duty and where his old tutorial fame and repute now growing european from a life of learning would earn him plenty of pupils and a professorship at least miss eudoxia broke in for much as she nagged at her brother she was proud as could be of his knowledge marry i and a bishopric john answered smiling pleasantly you have often menaced me doxy dear with jemima's apron so on a bright day in january john rosedew said to jem pottles saddle me the horse james and they saddled him the horse not so called by his master through any false aggrandizement such as maketh us talk of the servants when we have only got a maid of all work but because the parson in pure faith regarded him as a horse of full equine stature and super equine powers after tightening up the girths then for that noble cob at the saddling period blew himself out with a large sense of humour unappreciated by the biped who bestraddled him unwarily an abdominal sense of humour which as one touch of nature makes the whole world kin induced the pigskin to circulate after the manner of a brass dog's collar tush i mean a dog's brass collar in order to learn what the joke was down in those festive regions therefore having buckled him up six inches till the witty nag creaked like a tight-laced maid away rode the parson towards the hall much liefer would he have walked by the well-known and pleasant footpath but he felt himself bound as one may say to go in real style sir the more he reflected upon the nature of his errand the fainter grew his hopes of success he even feared that his ancient friendship would not procure him a hearing so absorbed were all the echoes of memory in the peak of parental jealousy and the cajoleries of a woman and the consequences of failure how bitter they must be to him and his little household moreover he dearly loved his two little quiet parishes and though he reaped more tithe from them in kindness than in kind or by commutation to his contented mind they were far sweeter than the encumbrancy of libya cum gades 
and both poigny for his beadles he thought of amy with a bitter pang and of his sister with heaviness as he laid his hand for he never used whip on the fat flank of the pony to urge him almost to a good round trot that suspense might sooner be done with and when the hall was at last before him he rode up not to the little postern hard by the housekeeper's snuggery which had seemed of old to be made for him but to the grand front entrance where the orange trees in tubs were and the myrtles and the pilasters most of the trees had been removed with the aid of little go-carts before the frosts began but they impressed john rosedew none the less so far as his placid and simple mind was open to small impressions dismounting from coribus whose rusty snaffle and mildewed reins would have been a disgrace to any horse as amy said every day he rang the main entrance bell and wondered whether they would let him in that journey had cost him a very severe battle to bear himself humbly before the wrong and to do it in the cause of the injured in the true and noble sense of pride there could not be a prouder man than the gentle parson but he ruled that noble human pride with its grander element left in it by the son of god his incarnation's legacy the pride which never apes but is itself humility at last the door was opened not by the spruce young footman who used to look so much at amy and spear about as to her expectations because she was only a parson's daughter but by that ancient and most respectable job hogstaff patriarch of butlers dull and dim as his eyes were growing job who now spent most of his time in looking for those who never came had made out mr rosedew's approach by virtue of the pony's most unmistakable shamble therefore he pulled down his best coat from a jug crook twitched his white hair to due stiffness pushed the ostury footman back with a scorn which rankled for many a day under a zebra waistcoat and hobbled off at his utmost pace to admit the visitor now so strange though once it was strange without him mr rosedew walked in very slowly and stiffly then turned aside to a tufted mat and began to wipe his shoes in the most elaborate manner though there was not a particle of dirt upon them old job's eyes blinked vaguely at him he felt there was something wrong in that don't you do that sir now for god's sake don't do that i can't abear it and that's the truth full well the old man remembered how different in the happy days had been john rosedew's entrance and now every scrub on the mat was a rub on his shaky hard-worn heart mr rosedew looked mildly surprised for his apprehension as we know was swifter on paper than pavement but he held forth his firm strong hand and the old man bowed tearfully over it any news of our boy sir any news of my boy as was yes job very bad news he has been terribly ill in london and nobody there to care for him then i'll throw up my situation sir many's the time i have threatened them but didn't like to be too hard like and pretty goings on there be without old job in the pantry but i bain't bound to stand everything for the saving of them as goes on so and that his malatish woman as fine fault with my buckles and nice things she herself wear i'd a given notice a week next monday 
but that I likes Miss Ower so, and feel myself bound, as you may say, to see out this Sir Craddock. Folk would say I was shabby to leave him now he be getting elderly. Man and boy for sixty year, and began no more than boot cleaning. Man and boy for sixty three year, come next Lammas tide. I should like it upon my tombstone, sir, with what God pleases added. If I not make too bold, and you the master of the churchyard, if so you be, should you live long enough, when my turn come, God willing? It will not be in my power, Job, but if ever it is, you may trust me. And I once that in I was telling my niece about, put thy hand in the hollow of my thigh. Holy Bible, you know, sir, none can object to that. Come, Job, my good friend, you must not talk so sepulchrally. Leave his own good time to God. To be sure, sir, I bain't in no hurry yet. I've a sight of things to see to, and my master must go first. He be so very particular. I'll live to see the young master yet, as my duty is for to do. He ain't carry on with his malatish woman. He ain't say, what hogstaff are your wits gone wool-gathering? And his own wits all the time, sir, fleeced, fleeced, fleeced. Here John Rosedew cut short the contrast between the present and the future master, which would soon have assumed a golden tinge as of the fourth eclogue, for the parson was too much a gentleman to foster millennial views at the expense of the head of the household. Job, take my card to your master, and tell him, with my compliments, that I wish to see him alone, if he will so far oblige me. By the by, I ought to have written first to request an interview, but it never occurred to me he could scarcely help sighing as he thought of formality re-established on the ruins of familiarity he'll be in the little covered rooms no doubt long o that hismalitich woman but step in here a moment sir instead of passing the doorway which the butler had thrown open for him mr rosedew stood scrupulously on the mat as if it marked his territory until the old man came back and showed him into the black oak parlour the little coved room was calmly and sweetly equal to the emergency the moment job's heels were out of sight mrs corklemore who had been indulging in a nice little chat with sir craddock when she ought to have been at work all the while plain sewing for her little household for who was to keep the wolf from the door if she shrank from a woman's mission though irksome to her she must confess for it did hurt her poor fingers so here she held up a dishcloth rather rougher than a coal sack which she had stolen cleverly from her host's own lower regions and did not know from a glass cloth but it suited her because it was brown and set off her lily hand so oh uncle craddock in all this there is something sweetly sacred because it speaks of home she was darning it all the while with white silk and took good care to push it away when any servant came in it had lasted her now for a week and had earned her a hundred guineas having made the most profound impression upon its legitimate owner she would earn another hundred before the week was out by knitting a pair of rough worsted socks for her little floor though it made her heart bleed to think how that poor child hated the feel of them now she rose in haste from her chair and pushed the fortunate dishcloth with a very expressive air into her pretty work-basket 
and drew the strings loudly over it what are you going for georgie you need not leave the room i am sure yes uncle dear i must you are so clear and so honest i know and most likely i take it from you but i could not have anything to do with any secret dealings uncle even though you wished it which i am sure you never could i never could keep a secret uncle because i am so shallow whenever secrecy is requested i feel as if there was something dishonest either done or contemplated very foolish of me i know but my nature is so childishly open and of course mr rosedew has a perfect right and is indeed very wise to conceal his scheme with respect to his daughter georgie stay in this room if you please he is not coming here but that poor simple amy will if he has brought her with him well i will stay here and lecture her uncle about her behaviour to you after all this the old man set forth in some little irritation to receive his once loved friend he entered the black oak parlour in a cold and stately manner and bowed without a word to john who had crossed the room to meet him the parson held out his hand as a lover and preacher of peace should do but the offer ay and the honour too not being at all appreciated he withdrew it with a crimson blush all over his bright clear cheeks as deep as his daughter's would have been then sir cradock nowell trying to seem quite calm and collected addressed his visitor thus sir i am indebted to you for the honour of this visit i apologise for receiving you in a room without a fire pray take a chair i have no doubt that your intentions are kind towards me i thank you replied the parson speaking much faster than usual and with the frill of his shirt-front rising i thank you sir cradock but i will not sit down in the house of a gentleman who declines to take my hand i am here much against my own wishes and only because i suppose that it was my duty to come i am here on behalf of your son a noble but most unfortunate youth and now in great trouble of mind if he had only said in great bodily danger it might have made a difference your interest in him is very kind and i trust that he will be grateful which he never was to me he has left his home in defiance of me i can do nothing for him until he comes back and is penitent but surely the question concerns me rather than you mr rosedew i am sorry to find answered john quite calmly that you think me guilty of impertinent meddling but even that i would bear as becomes my age and my profession here he gave sir cradock a glance which was thoroughly understood because they had been at school together and more than that i would do cradock nowell for a man i have loved like you sir that sir came out very oddly john poked it in as a retractation for having called him cradock nowell and as a salve to his own self-respect lest he should have been too appealing and to follow up this view of the subject he made a bow such as no man makes to one from whom he begs anything but sir cradock nowell lost altogether the excellence of the bow the parson had put up his knee in a way which took the old man back to sherborne his mind was there playing cobnuts as fifty years since with john rosedew once more he saw the ruddy and then pugnacious john bringing his calf up and priming his knee for the cobnut to lie upon it this he always used to do 
and not care a flip for the whack upon it instead of using his blue cloth cap as all the rest of the boys did because his father and mother were poor and could only afford him one cap in a year and so the grand bow was wasted as most formalities are but if john had only known when to stop it might have been all right after all in spite of georgie corklemore but urged by the last infirmity except gout of noble minds our parsons never do know the proper time to stop excellent men and admirable they make us shrink from eternity by proving themselves the type of it mr rosedew spoke well and eloquently as he was sure to do but it would have been better for his cause if he had simply described the son's distress and left the rest to the father's heart at one time indeed poor old sir cradock who was obstinate and misguided rather than cold and unloving began to relent and a fatherly yearning fluttered in his grey-lashed eyes but at this critical moment three little kicks at the door were heard and the handle rattled briskly then a shrill little voice came through the keyhole oh please let four tum in please do please do please do me os me ummy top oh you naughty bad door then another kick was administered by small but passionate totos of course your mother did not send you innocent bright-haired popples and with a lie so pat and glib in that pouting pearl-set mouth foolish mother if she did though it seal atalic bargain sir cradock went to the door and gently ordered the child away but the interruption had been enough ibi omnis effusus labor when he returned and faced john rosedew the manner of his visage was altered the child had reminded him of her mother and that graceful gushing loving nature which tried so hard not to doubt the minister so he did what a man in the wrong generally does instinctively he swept back the tide of war into his adversary's country you take a very strong interest sir in one whose nearest relations have been compelled to abandon him i thought that your greatest grievance with him was that he had abandoned you excuse me i cannot split hairs all i mean is that something has come to my knowledge though not through the proper channel not from those who ought to have told me something which makes your advocacy seem a little less disinterested than i might have supposed it to be have the kindness to tell me what it is oh perhaps a mere nothing but it seems a significant rumour what rumour if you please that my that cradock nowell is attached to your daughter who behaved so ill to me of course it is not true perfectly true every word of it and john rosedew looked at sir cradock nowell as proudly as ever a father looked amy in his opinion was peeress for any mortal and perhaps he was not presumptuous ah was the only reply he received an ah drawn out into half an l why i would have told you long ago the moment that i knew it but for your great trouble and your bitterness towards him you have often wished that a son of yours should marry my daughter amy surely you will not blame him for desiring to do as you wished 
no because he is young and foolish but i may blame you for encouraging it now that he is the only one do you dare to think that i am in any way influenced by interested motives i dare to think what i please no bullying here john if you please we all know how combative you are and now you have forced me to it i will tell you what will be the conviction i and the expression of every one in this county except those who are afraid of you mr rosedew has entrapped the future sir cradock nowell hushed up the crime and made all snug for his daughter at nowelhurst hall sir cradock did not mean half his words any more than the rest of us do when hurt and he was bitterly sorry for them the moment they were uttered they put an impassable barrier between him and john rosedew between him and his own conscience for many a day and night to come have you ever seen a pure good man a man of large intellect and heart a lover of truth and justice more than of himself confront without warning some black charge some despicable calumny in a word for i love strong english and nothing else will tell it some damned lie if not i hope you never may for it makes a man's heart burn so john rosedew was not of the violent order indeed as his sister eudoxia said and to her own great comfort knew his system of wrathfulness was so small and the supply-pipe so unready as must be where the lower passions filter through the intellect that most people thought it impossible to put the parson out and very few of those who knew him could have borne to make the trial even now hurt as he was to the very depth of his heart he was indignant more than angry it would have been more manly of you sir cradock nowell to have said this very mean thing yourself than to have put it into the mouths of others i grieve for you and for myself that so mean a man was ever my friend perhaps you have still some relics of gentlemanly feeling which will lead you to perform a host's duty towards his visitor have the kindness to order my horse then john rosedew so punctilious so polite to the poorest cottager turned his broad back upon the baronet and as he slowly walked to the door these words came over his shoulder to-day you will receive my resignation of your two benefices if i live a few years more i will repay you all they have brought me above a curate's stipend my daughter is no fortune hunter she never shall see your son again unless he renounce you and yours for ever or you come and implore us humbly as now you have spoken arrogantly contemptibly and meanly then fearing lest he had been too grand about a little matter not his daughter's marriage but the aspersion upon himself he closed the door very carefully so as not to make any noise and walked away towards his home forgetting coribus utterly and before his fine solid face began to recover its healthy and bashful pink he was visited by sore misgivings as to his own behaviour to wit what claim had any man how elate with the pride of right and the scorn of wrong to talk about any fellow-man becoming humble to him nevertheless he could not manage to retract the wrong expression in his letter of resignation not from any false pride oh no but for fear of being misunderstood but that very night he craved pardon of him before whom alone we need humbly bow 
who alone can grant us anything. End of chapter 3